Manchester, New Hampshire. Before that, I was from a town in western Pennsylvania of a population roughly 480 as of the 2010 U.S. Census. Nobody who is not from Shippenville, Pennsylvania has any reason in the world to give a shit about Shippenville, Pennsylvania. So this poem is going to try to convince you to give a shit about where I'm from. My folks thought television was where the devil lived. So I did not have one in my house. In school, kids would make fun, say I didn't know what I was missing. But each summer, Missy and I rode our bikes to red and white with quarters in our pockets. A nickel bought three cowtails. I bought peach rings most days. Except on the days my bike was a horse, which of course meant I was a cowboy. So I spent my whole week's allowance on cartons of candy cigarettes and pouches of big league chew because that's the type of shit cowboys buy. I lived in a trailer at the bottom of a hill. It was so tall, I thought it was a dang old mountain. First day I ever rode my bike to the top, I threw my handlebars in the dirt, raised both arms as high to heaven as I could hold them, and I yelled with all the might my tiny lungs could muster, I made it! <laughs> now I'm going home. <laughs> Joey Beatner, my best friend, he broke my nose three different times in a single summer. The first, we were playing King of the Hill, backwards. <laughs> the second was a boring forward pass, that third time though. We got ourselves all full of soda, pop and caffeine at 7 o'clock in the morning, and then I very painfully discovered that they never meant for you to play badminton with snow shovels. <laughs> I found my first stash of porn hiding in the rusting ghost of a boxcar that was dying in the woods. Rachel ratted me out to my mom on the day that I wouldn't kiss her. I lost every game of spin the bottle the neighborhood played on purpose. One day I was walking through the forest, and I saw some porcupine who had tried to spike his defenses against the truck. Obviously, he lost. He looked so sad and broken there, dying in the gutter. I just wanted to fix him with a stick. When I got home, I told my dad I was only crying because I'd skinned my knee. First scar I ever got, I got on the bottom of my chin. I was trying to shave just like my daddy, but I told the kids in school that it came from fighting a dragon. And they laughed at me. There was a dragon hiding in the woods behind my house. It's just no one could see it but me because it was disguised as a tree. <laughs> Second scar was on the littlest toe of my right foot. While Dad snored on the sofa, Missy and I went into the kitchen. We poured a bottle of cooking oil all over the linoleum floor, turned the whole room into a skin area, and God damn, it was some fun. Until, like the clumsy oaf I have always found myself to be, I lost my balance, fell down, ripped my foot across the corner of a registered grate, cut a hole so deeply in my toe, I thought there was a cave hiding inside my body. And so I watched as though maybe I would see bats come flying out. All I ever produced was blood. I've been in exactly one fist fight in 33 years of life. There was a neighbor boy who wanted to kiss my baby sister, so he tied her shoelaces to a tree branch while she was still in them. And underneath that tree was a squirrel that had something that looked suspiciously like my mom's strawberry jam spilling out his guts. The neighbor boy smeared that stick and wiped it on my sister's shins, and I knew because I was her older brother I was supposed to do something. I threw a rock at him. It missed. He threw a fist at me. It didn't. But in that time, my sister had just enough space to wriggle free and run on home to safety. When I got home, I told my dad, well, I was only crying because I'd skinned my knee. In my hometown, Shippenville, Pennsylvania, at the top of the tallest hill, so high you'd swear it has to be a mountain, there is a cemetery full of people whose names and faces and stories have long been forgotten. 
If your travels should ever take you there, and you find yourself at just the right time of night, when the sun first starts to hide itself behind the tree line, you sit down in the soft green grass and you listen carefully to those echoes fading away like a whisper in the wind. You might just hear them say, Aaron Bradley. Let's be honest. Lately we've been slipping, right? Good mornings when it seems like beautiful and ugly are two completely separate dialects of the English language. And the shark infested silk asleep. We lost the ability to be bilingual and all we speak is lonely. Lately, we've been slipping. Through days when a random act of human kindness seems so fucking unlikely. Give me your fist to the newly constructed ash of my jaw, and I'll call that honest human touch. Give me a crowbar to my kidneys, and I'll say you took effort, and I'll call that a marriage proposal. <laughs> See, lately, we've been slipping. Through days when we want to place our cell phone number on every podium we can find, every church within a 30-mile radius of our house with a cell phone number put on every piece of paper with perfect penmanship, and it just says pretty, 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 pretty. But it always seems like God's never heard us, right? What? With every tongue in every neighborhood we come across, folded in the perfect origami of curses, God damn, it seems like every neighborhood has people who are either in the act of slumming or actively being slummed. But I got the sting. See, Nietzsche was wrong. And so was your first college philosophy professor. <laughs> God ain't dead. Dude just incredibly fucking busy. <laughs> and now on the gates of heaven, if you look close enough, there's a help wanted sign. Associate Christ needed. Must have excellent customer service skills, the ability to multitask, and kid, thou don't know the meaning of the word paperwork. Just practice these all important phone skills. Ready? Go. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. God is right now in cheap sweats and khakis, bent over a plywood desk, praying to himself in fractured Aramaic that will take the initiative and bless our own goddamn selves. You see, God created us in his image, so dude wouldn't have to do all the fucking work. We used to know this. We were kids. We used to let our hearts birth across our chest like public square chrysanthemums. But at 14, we figured out the veins in our wrists could tell time. Mm. And it's always quitting time somewhere, right? At 16, we figured out the quickest way to prove that you have a heart is to break the motherfucker as often as humanly possible. And at 18, we began our endless descent into an infinite array of dimly lit bars and coffee shops like bargain basement Morpheuses, armed only with a fading flashlight and a cheap dime store mirror, hoping to find the reflection of one honest person and being pretty damn sure the eyes that greeted us back would not be our own. And at 39, I'll admit, I am a slow fucking learner. <laughs> But every trophy and tourniquet of my life, every car crash and caress that you've been through, has led us to each other at this exact moment. That's my religion. We are the thing that turns the word hallelujah into a fucking verb. 
and the moment that we get that we are all that we get, God will finally get to cash in those sick days he's been holding on to. Kick his feet up on the desk, turn the stereo to 10, and we might not know the words of the song, but we're going to sing along anyway. Like there are 10,000 Pentecostal choirs sewn into the rough hem of our throats, and we will finally understand what holy feels like. We'll finally get what bulletproof means, and we'll finally be holy. We'll finally get clean. And it may sound like we're screaming as we sing, but if you listen close, it's going to sound precisely just like angels. Bring up William James again. So I'd like for you to join me in going on a little bit of a journey to a place that I call sacred. And if you've never shared these spaces, then we'll pretend for just the next few minutes, like right now we are all 16 years old. And we have just, each and every one of us, come home from our very first hardcore show. So pretend that you have just come home from that very first show, and tonight, the t-shirt that you bought from a band you've never heard before this moment is draped over your shoulders like some tired flag, and you are covered in sweat. That's both yours and not yours, drenched in this wave of shared exhaustion that has come crashing down, and let's be honest, it feels like a baptism, or like First Communion. Or like you're 16 and the entire universe is at once both a mystery and a mistake. And tonight a stranger kicked you really hard and it hurt. And that's magic. Because it hurts, but not the way that it did when the locker door dug into your spine. Not the way that it did when your father's belt buckle would come screaming through the air and yes, you are bleeding. But not the way you did when the Pen knife slipped into your wrist on purpose. Now, this here is more like the slow, holy stain of the Eucharist. This is like being washed clean. Like you're 16 years old, completely terrified of damnation because the preacher man keeps telling you that Jesus Christ is coming back and he's got murder in his eyes. And you know right now that you are filled with at least a million different types of sin. You are unclean, not washed in the blood of the lamb, not made whole. You know that you will burn forever in flame and sulfur, choke on the brimstone, and you are so goddamn scared. But you're 16. And you have just come home from the first of what you now know will be many, many more hardcore shows. And tonight, a stranger kicked you so hard in the face that your jaw is a stiff bruise. And you can feel every single one of your teeth. And there you are, bathed in all that red, all that pouring glory. Hallelujah! And you know that in this exact moment, while you are every bit as holy as heaven ever meant for you to be. Mm -hmm. So I just moved to New England uh, last week. Yeah, weird choice in my life. Uh, but this poem is an annotated list of why I moved to Massachusetts. <laughs> One. The Arizona State Legislature will never be truly happy until they pass the bill that grinds all the queers and Latinos into fuel for the boats to send all the Arabs to Guantanamo Bay. Because Los Angeles 
already fell into the ocean after the great earthquake of 1979. The Pacific Ocean put it right back into place the same night because it has standards. <laughs> Living in Seattle, Washington is like having sex with my ex. Damp and way too fucking expensive. <laughs> Tulsa, Oklahoma rhymes with Pulsa Melanoma. <laughs> and this makes sense to me. Every time you mention Des Moines, God punches a fucking puppy. Because on October 25th, 1984, the Cuyahoga River in Cleveland caught fire. They put it out two days later. That is the last thing to improve in Cleveland, Ohio. The state flower of New Jersey is herpes. And New York is just New Jersey wearing way too much Axe body spray. Even Delaware forgets about Delaware. In Alaska, they have 50 words for snow and 51 words for bearded dude in his 20s who read too much Bukowski and Hemingway and is trying to find himself on a fucking fishing boat. I lived in Denver, Colorado long enough to have a history, which meant that every moment of my past lay hidden in every cracking crevice of the sidewalk like ravenous ghosts, each having 80 rows of perfect teeth. I always had to look up to avoid my past, and it's staring into that much infinite blue just makes a boy lonely. Texas. Way too fucking easy. Every time you mention San Francisco, Google gets a royalty check. Minneapolis is so cold, the local flasher just describes himself to people. <laughs> Omaha! Oh, no, Maha! Because Cambridge is the ancient Algonquin word for motherfucking trust fund. New Orleans was already drowning 80 years before Katrina because Portland, Oregon was just awarded a lifetime achievement in gentrification because every town I live in, I always have the same exact roommate. And every night we look at each other in the mirror and he says, dude, you gotta trust me. I promise I'm not gonna fuck the next place up. You gotta trust me. Believe me. <laughs> Here's a poem for my favorite locomotive. It's called Screaming Thunderbox, or Obsolete Engine Blues. For the EMD F40PH, long may it live. Hallelujah for the hard edges, angles sharp and raw, how they slice the wind in ribbons of red and white, carving the landscape in slipstream swaths. Hallelujah for the blood-nosed patina of rust, charging valiant into dark tunnels, Spaghetti strands of rail trailing from Union to Penn and back. Hallelujah for the soot black thick diesel smoke chuff chuff chuffing into the air. Spewing clouds of dark fog like foam flecking at the mouth. Three horses strong lunging against the weight of the consist. And hallelujah also for the consist. For the diner car with its two strong coffee and stale baked goods. The coach rattling behind us like unsettled bones. Hallelujah for the glass dome of the lounge car. How it opens our eyes to all the gates of heaven. All the stars in the sky with their brilliant hues. The still life of snow caps, glacial streams, tumbleweeds, and fields of wheat as royal as the finest throne. This majesty the fucking highways keep locked away from us. Give praise to the fury in its belly. To the horn ringing out a muted coronation song, give praise and sing hallelujah to the dulcet chorus of the bell. How its gentle nudge guides us to the safety of distance and just like children calls us to the comfort of our homes. Mm -hmm. 
he's he's talented. He's all talented and shit. And man, I made a mess. Okay. <laughs> Unsolicited advice for falling in love with a divorcee by Aaron Patton Bradley. Yes. One, run. <laughs> Two, if you choose to ignore this advice, know this. The person you have chosen to love has stood Sunday stock pillars still in front of a congregation of every person they hold of worth on the planet and promised to love one person forever. They meant it. They failed. They now know what it feels like to have chunks of vow lodged beneath their fingernails from using every inch of musculature to maintain their grasp on a promise. They have been pinioned between the angry oak jaws of for poor and for worse. And then felt their own brittle bone work snap like kindling and as a penalty for not being able to withstand the pressure, they've been forced to watch the diamond in their wedding band slowly reverse its way back to coal. They've had to pay lawyers and moving men. Had to redo their taxes and see therapists all for having the audacity to leave before death gave them permission to do it. <laughs> they have loved people who have shamed them. And they've shamed people who have loved them. They understand that love is sometimes the most fucked up thing you can do to somebody you love. <laughs> <laughs> See, the person you have chosen to love has been slackly comforted on sad-eyed group outings by well-intentioned friends where they're told, don't worry. 50% of all marriages end in divorce. It's not so bad. <laughs> what those friends always forget is that 50% of all people also believe in an angry, vengeful God, and there is never any comfort in being a statistic. <laughs> you see, the person you've chosen to love has trained themselves to sleep face first now. Because they can't trust their eyes not to spring open like caffeinated sparrows at every ghost in the hallway, every phantom in the floorboards, every possibly offending noise that leads them to believe that they are not alone anymore. And you hopefully will never know the shame and the relief that coats you like stale satin sweat when you realize you are still alone. So you, you who are choosing to love, Know this and know this most importantly. In your chest, you do not have a heart. You have a forest fire. And yes, it is the ten-alarm, God-chiseled blaze you've always been told it is. It's what God invented the word glorious for. It's a ten-alarm fire. It is absolutely beautiful, and it is your gift and your best intentions. You are handing your gift. To a burn victim. Don't be surprised when they don't reach out their withered fingertips to touch you. Don't be shocked when they don't remember the fire does bring warmth. Don't be surprised when all they can remember is the screaming. Letter addressed to myself, following the occasion of my second failed suicide attempt. Hey kid, what the fuck were you thinking? Did you honestly believe the lie that keeps getting fed to you that life will not get any better than this? Haven't you yet learned that you shouldn't listen to ghosts? 
There's nothing that something already dead could possibly teach you about the fine art of staying alive. Boy, you've been giving too much credit to the whispers, placing too much faith in the chains they drag over your body. When you try to count off enough reasons to want to wake up tomorrow morning, do you not realize those scraping sounds in your chest are merely the cheapest product of the oldest crime? That there is a reason those haunted eyes, candles burning in your night sky, are glowing green. See, you still suck breath through gritted teeth despite those ghouls' most dedicated efforts. And yes, I know right now your wrist is spitting crimson. I know right now you just want to dry swallow one more pill. Kid, believe me when I tell you that even at your most embarrassingly awkward look up to see rock bottom, you are still a fucking thunderstorm beating beneath your breastplate. That hypnotic rhythm of pulse battering away at your temples, it represents the one thing all the raves hovering around your bedside will never have. They are far too cowardly to bloody their hands trying to remove life from you by force, so instead they come at you with this weak warfare, this black hole in front of you that you are so desperate to drown in, it is nothing but a chemical siege being laid on your mind. But know this, even at your worst, you are not bottle rocket, but pipe bomb. Even at your worst, you are not train derailment, but slow-burning fuse. You are not knife wound, not sword swallower, not even fallout. Your sky. So when tomorrow tries to spill itself from your poisoned gut like so much shards of shattered crystal, do not bother bending down to pick up the pieces. It was never you who was broken. It's just glass. And this is my last poem. Uh, thank you all for coming out. Thank you, Adam, for having us. Um, yeah, it's great to see you again. Like, we edit a website together, but I've only seen him once before in real life, and so we were both mm -hmm. And I don't think you two had ever met. Yeah. Yeah. At all. So it's all happy and fun. <laughs> um, um, all this had books for sale. Uh, William has an astounding book. Please go up and hug him and then buy his shit. Um, yeah, hug him first. Why not? Um, this is my last poem. I love this thing. I try to read it as much as humanly possible. Um, so a recent Harvard medical study came out saying unmedicated manic depressives are more than 500% more likely to take our own lives if we remain unmedicated for a period of up to five years. Since that means if left to our own devices, we're going to end up our own executioner. Might as well make each other a promise, right? If we decide to do it, let's at least be fucking creative become a semi-professional freeway semi-truck matador. Organize your own home bleach taste test. <laughs> Engage a grizzly bear in a staring contest. Refuse to lose. Until you do. Forward. Drunken Cobra makeout session. Treat heroin like a viable breakfast option. Little known fact, Wolverines absolutely adore being juggled. <laughs> I'll tell you a secret. Most of my suicide attempts have not been what you would call fully committal. Two whole bottles of NyQuil. 
Yeah. Second story death plummet. <laughs> really suspiciously loosely tied noose. I've orbited around death my entire life with the same ferocity I used to hover around the cool kids' table in junior high. <laughs> Hoping if I just got close enough, it would tell me its secrets, welcome me in, and I wouldn't feel so fucking lonely. Shit I've learned since then. Like the cool kids' table, death is not a mystery. It's just a place we ain't been invited to yet. I've never been to Scranton, Pennsylvania either, but I dare say it's not a mystery. I bet you death has a Walmart too. Now I get it. There are days that we're tired of clutching our endless tickets to the infinite parade of our life. We're tired of always having to catch the knife by the handle. We're tired of looking into the eyes of our eventual assassin in the mirror to look at us. When have we ever been good at anything easy? Look at the scars on our knuckles and the way the veins in our necks become taut cables from the screaming and the screaming and tell me, when has there ever been a good night we've gone gently into? It's okay if you get depressed. It just means you've been paying attention. But remember, the glass is half empty because you drank the other half. And that didn't kill you either. So come on, track mark tip. Come on, razor blade Betty. Let's be the prettiest disemballerinas still left twirling on the dance floor. Because there are actual mysteries out there to be solved. Like, why are whales so goddamn awesome? And why aren't members of the NRA forced to wear necklaces made out of shattered skull fragments of five-year-olds? And why are all the homeless people in San Francisco obviously vampires? <laughs> they have to be. They never show up in photographs of the city, right? Real mysteries. Death has always been easy. Just ask Jesus. All you have to do is hang there. <laughs> if you want to live, you got to move a rock. Thanks, y'all. Y'all been so much fun. I'm going to do one more. Uh, I Aaron said he's got, I've got a chat book for sale. He's got a couple books for sale. Um, y'all are fucking awesome. Uh, thank you, Adam, for inviting us into your beautiful home uh, and letting me yell shit. Um, thank you all for allowing me to yell at you. I'm going to yell at you once more, and this is going to be the loudest poem I do all night. Uh, just so you know. <laughs> Motherfuckers keep telling me that punk rock is dying or dead, but my friend Derek brings his son with him to every single show he plays. And his kid's only 16 months old, but he's already got more spit in his fire than all the exed up militants in the pit. So while those opening bands bludgeon the crowd with chants of unity and brotherhood and standing steadfast and all those other boring ass straight edge cliches, Sunrides piggyback high on daddy's shoulders, drowning in ear protectors exactly the size of his head. And he raises an innocent fist in the sky screen. Now, if you've never been to one, an all ages punk show will forever see two finely tuned archetypes. There's the young doe-eyed ones. He's the kids who about yesterday first discovered salvation in drop tune power chords, found safety and acceptance in the common aesthetic of drug-free pledges or area codes which we will etch into our skin like a branded herd. And there's the old fucks. The jaded ones. Husks turned cynical and humorless from year after year, after year, after year, after year of seeing our heroes reach their peak in basements or fire halls, never climbing a foot higher than the stage at their local VFW, until that day they finally burn out and give up on the ideals they once screamed like thunder from their lungs. 
These keepers of a flame they always assumed blazed exclusively for their glory, who stomp and snarl like trapped wolves, and all those young bloods who are so goddamn bold as to dance without having first paid some toll at the gate. People like me, we are dying lions, whose only pride is the stupid claim that we were there from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> For 20 years from this night. <laughs> After another wave of true till death tattoos done gotten un awkwardly covered up and polished over. And a whole new generation of wet-eyed punks have gone on to exchange their crates of vinyl for a 401k. There will still be some innocent fist thrust in the sky screaming, having picked up that mantle his father laid down, wrapped a mic cord three times around his wrist, now uses it to stare down the sneering cynics. Motherfuckers, I was born for this! Groomed to build this house with my own damned hands. These walls and rafters are my birthright. This is my blood. I have screamed in these streets for my very first day. Motherfucker, I was born for this. What have you got? What the fuck have you got? Thanks y'all so much. You were one <laughs>